Welcome to the Connection Podcast. I'm Jason Keister, the show's producer, here with hosts Drew Boreen and Lexi DeLuna. Let's get ready to connect with somebody new today. Perfect. Your audio is coming in crystal clear, so that's good. Oh, good. <laughs> I think I'll probably I'll probably start us off at the minute mark, if that sounds all right. Yeah, that sounds good. Perfect. All right. This will be a fun episode. I, you'll probably <laughs> hear some screaming kids in the background. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's no different from normal life, so. <laughs> all right. Well, well, welcome to the Connection Podcast, everybody. Um, we have a special episode today. We're actually doing a remote phone call, and I'm talking to a sister missionary that some of you probably know. This is Sister Michaela Fine. Say hi, Michaela. <laughs> Hello. Or sister Fine. Yeah. Well, generally, when we when we start these podcast episodes off, Sister Fine, we have you do kind of the sacrament talk intro where you're you're in the new ward and you're introducing yourself and go. Oh, hello. I'm Sister Fine. Uh, I'm from the Oak Ridge branch. Uh, I've lived in Oak Ridge basically most of my life, except for whenever I went over to college and, and whenever I was, I was my mission. Um, I come from a pretty big family. Uh, some of you might know them um, as most of their last names are fine. <laughs> um but I, I have nine older siblings. I'm the last of 10. And um, it wasn't that long ago that I, well, I guess uh, about a year and a half that I actually decided that I want to serve a mission. Wow, great. Sister Fine, so what is it like growing up the youngest of nine siblings? Um. Well, you know, it's funny. I don't, I don't, know what it's like not to so it's hard to explain so um i wouldn't say i was spoiled but i probably like my siblings always say i, I was spoiled but that's i was just, gonna say are john and the rest of them are they gonna say different or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah they would definitely oh we lost audio for a second there are we oh sorry that's all right we got you back so so John would say, John would argue that, huh? Yeah, he would, but that's okay. He argues a lot of things. <laughs> what was it like growing up in Oak Ridge? It is a very small town, um, but I honestly love it. It's quiet. Um, I got to be outside, and I love being outside. Um, me and my brother would always go out. Me and my siblings, me and my brother and my sister would always go out um, in the woods and just play. Like, me and my brother would pretend to be pirates and jump off of logs and rocks and stuff. And and uh, just being able to be outside was really nice um, because I didn't really like being cooped up inside all day anyway. Yeah. And, that was nice. And I mean, I was also, uh, me and my brother, um, at one point were, uh, the only youth in the high school. So that was definitely like, I felt like I had to be an example. And I think that was good for us though, because we knew, um, those things that we had to do and we got to be a, be disciples of Christ and, and to be an example of what we believe. Oh, that is a unique um, situation growing up like that. Did most people know that you were a member of the church when you were growing up, kind of going through school? Oh, yeah. I, I let them know. <laughs> Was that ever intimidating, kind of letting letting your peers know and, and just being open about that? Um, not really, mostly because the, the, my peers I've, I've known for like, since I was in kindergarten. So it's like, they were, they were almost like family too, like distant cousins, you could say. Yeah. It's <laughs> and, interesting. Oh, go ahead. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, but I just, I don't know. It's always been a part of who I am and they knew that. And so I never backed down from it. That's really cool. I, I admire that. And. 
um, aspired to that as well. That's really neat. Tell us a little bit about, so you went off to college, right? Where did you go? Uh, I went down, uh, down to Southwestern Oregon Community College. Um, I received a scholarship to wrestle down there. So I, uh, went down there to Coos Bay. Wow. That, that's incredible. I actually didn't know that about you. So tell us a little bit about wrestling in college. Uh, wrestling in college. Well, it was different from like in, in high school cause it was year round the practice and we had practice early in the morning and then also in the evening. And so I would be up at like four 30 getting ready for practice. And then I would, at, you know, after all my classes and everything, uh, like six o'clock at night, we'd have practice again. And then I probably wouldn't go to sleep until like three in the morning. <laughs> I imagine it's pretty hard. Yeah, because once you practice that late, you're pretty amped up, right? Yeah. What's what's practicing and training for wrestling like at that level? Because even in the high school uh, ranks, it's it's fairly difficult. You have to make weight. You have to do a lot of cardio. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely a lot harder. But in a way, because I feel like um, in college you're more accountable for yourself. Um, you're, you know, your coach is, is there to coach you and help you with stuff, but you're mostly responsible for you and your, your weight and, and your learning. Cause you know, you have to be responsible to show up to practice too. And, um, I mean, practices were a little bit more intense, um, like physically, but it's also just having that accountability for yourself which isn't too much different from, you know, the gospel either. Yeah. That's a nice parallel right there. What got you into wrestling in the first place? Um, I've, I've just been wrestling ever since I can remember. Um, I know that my siblings, um, Joseph and Rachel, they, they started wrestling. Um, and when I was in like kindergarten and I would go to their practices and just run around the mat on the outside as they were warming up and, you know, soon enough, I'm just like, Mom, I want to do it. <laughs> and so in first grade, I, she let me do it. And I've just been playing ever since. I'm just picturing the fine family now, everyone just beating up on each other in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we did have some wrestling matches in the yard, <laughs> mostly in the living room, though. That's that's cool. I'm, I'm seeing John later this week. I'll have to ask him about it. Um, <laughs> well, cool. That's that's awesome. So. You, you decided to serve a mission. Tell me a little bit more about what that process was like of finding out that you wanted to do something like that. Um, well, I was not like on my mind at all whenever it happened. I, you know, I mean, when I graduated, um, I was thinking that I might serve a mission, but then as time went on, I just didn't think about it. I I had decided, and I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to serve a mission. But um, this is also when I, so there was, a, there was a period of time when I lost faith, and I wasn't doing the things that I should have been doing. And there was a hard period of time, there was a period of time that was really hard. And it was then that I realized what was making my life so hard, which was that I didn't have the gospel and I didn't have my savior in my life. And it wasn't until then that I started going back to church and, and I really had to gain my own testimony that what I knew, what I knew and what I lost, I had found again. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, and about what age were you when you went through that whole process? Um, between the ages of 20 and 20, 20 and 22. And whatever, Sister Fine, whatever you don't feel comfortable with, let us, let us know. But could you give us a little context? You're, you're away from the church. Maybe just what your life looks like then uh, before you start coming back and, and, kind of have that epiphany where, where you do um, regain your faith? Um, most of it was just, I, 
because you know we're taught that you know you need to exercise your faith to be able to continue to use it and 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 to have that faith with you it's like a muscle you know you have to you have to exercise it to be able to keep that muscle and i stopped doing those things that were needed for me to be able to uh continue to keep my faith i stopped going to church i stopped reading my scriptures i stopped praying um and you know and as missionaries, we call it CPR because it helps yeah. <laughs> spiritually alive, and it does. And I wasn't, I wasn't keeping myself spiritually alive, and so I started doing things that I wasn't supposed to. I started rationalizing um, my mistakes and, and you know, rationalizing that's like oh, it's okay, you know, I I can always repent for it later, which is it's really not like that. It's I was. As I was doing those things, um, I started to realize how empty I felt. Um, because, you know, those those temporary things, those are temporary things. Those That's only satisfaction that doesn't bring true happiness. And so I just felt empty. And I was just sad all the time. And it took me about two years to figure that out, what was missing. But I found it. And my Heavenly Father helped to prepare me to be able to find it again, to recognize and to see it. And uh, a few months after I started going back to church, um, I was in sacrament meeting, and I was I was just listening to the talks that didn't have anything to do with the mission, but I just heard this voice in my head saying, "You need to serve a mission." And I've, my my initial response was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are you sure? <laughs> I could understand that response or feeling, yeah. And then it just came again. It's like you need to serve a mission. And at that point, I just felt peace in that resolve to serve a mission. It's like, okay, this is what I need to do. So a few weeks later, I went and talked to the bishop about getting my papers in. That's, that's so neat. Thank you for sharing a little bit more about that experience. And it's a theme that's come up on our podcast a lot is when we do go away, and th this happens to a lot of us, I think, we start realizing what we're missing. And I can definitely relate to a lot of things you're mentioning. I, I think for me, the rationalization part, just while I was going through medical school, missing a lot of church when I didn't have to and rationalizing that I was too busy. And you, you eventually start realizing that you're missing something in your life. So uh, again, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I'd like to jump into your mission a bit here. So tell us a bit about your mission call and, and where you started and we'll go from there. Okay. Well, I was called to serve in the Colorado, Colorado Springs Mission, and I served there for about 10 months. And I loved being able to go out and teach people as one of the greatest things that I have been able to feel and do. Um, one of the scriptures uh, that actually uh, I memorized, um, it's in Mosiah uh, 28, three, verse 3, and it's, um, for they were desirous that salvation should be declared to every creature, for they could not bear that any human soul should perish, yea, even the very thought that any soul should endure endless torment to cause them to quake and tremble. And I love that scripture because it, it reminds me of myself and how I was in that that bitterness and that, that emptiness and how much joy that I've been able to gain from the gospel and how I want to share that with others because I want them to be able to happy be happy. I from being able to be set apart for, as a missionary and to be able to have that spiritual closeness to my Savior, I've really been able to, even just a little bit, just a little taste of, of the love that our Savior has for us, to be able to have that love for others. It's not quite to the extent as our Savior has to us, but to be able to feel even that minuscule part was so amazing. Well, I, I can really tell just hearing you talk. Um, this is still, you know, really fresh and i uh, getting a little choked up just listening to you too. Um, 
from your time and your proselyting mission, do any stories or experiences really stand out to you or anything that you could share with us? Yeah. So there is um, someone we were teaching in the YSA. His name was Ben. And, you know, he, he had gone through his life, you know, like, when he was young, he believed in God and, and, and everything. And he went to, uh, like, I think it was a, uh, a Catholic school or a Christian school. Um, and he, you know, he believed for a long time, but then start things started coming up in his life that he just, he didn't know. And he started doing things that, um, he stopped reading. He stopped praying. He stopped reading scriptures. He stopped praying and, he was lost for a long time and when and then there was a time um in his life where he he decided to praise like heavenly because he had he had uh um he started he started to have problems with drinking and he didn't like what what, what he was becoming and so he prayed to heavenly father to help him to stop drinking and a week later, he got into a car accident while he was drunk driving, and he, you know, that he got his license taken away. He was like, "Okay, well, this is he," but he didn't. He didn't like blame Heavenly Father. He's like, "Hey, this is a sign for me to get sober," which I think shows tremendous faith on his part. That's neat. A lot of people wouldn't react that way. Yeah, and and a week after that, he uh, he got in contact with the missionaries off of Facebook. Um, some missionaries, uh, hey, Facebook does work. Some, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. And, you know, he talked, he talked to the missionaries on Facebook and then, um, you know, after he said he wanted to learn more, he, they, the missionaries he was talking to found out where he lived and he was in our area. So we set up a phone call on messenger and we were able to teach him, and we could tell that he had a lot of faith. That even though he was lost for a long time, it was still there, and he wanted to learn more. And so, um, we were able to meet with him in person finally. And he lived in uh, the basement of a shared home, <laughs> and I mean, it's definitely probably not the nicest place to live, but. When we were able to talk with him and to share the gospel with him, the spirit was so strong and I could just feel it from my head to my toes. And that was because not only was the spirit present because it was speaking truth, but he could feel it and he listened. And that, and he just, the, the second time we, were, we met with him, he said that he wanted to be baptized. And I think the most amazing part is that he trusted in, in in his heavenly father so much he knew that his heavenly father was there and he trusted in him and that he would help him to get back to him and to um, find that true happiness that comes from the gospel so neat what happened from there um from there uh, mm-hmm. Well, he, he was baptized and he actually gave his testimony afterwards. And he said that he's never felt like this, like he's been a part of a family and like he is at home. That's so neat that those experiences you remember in the rest of your life. Do you stay in touch? Uh, not as much as I'd like to. But yeah, we're I I still see him on Facebook and and I try to reach out every once in a while. Yeah, those those are neat relationships. Um, it's not everybody you teach on your mission, but there's a few that you just remember. Speaking from experience, even twenty years later, you just um, make really cool connections with people. So thank you for sharing that story. That was so great. Yeah. Um, Moving forward a bit on your mission, so you end up having your first seizure. Tell us a little bit about that story and that experience. Yeah, so my first seizure um, was in 
May of last year. Um, it was, it happened at night and I, I didn't know anything about it until that morning. Um, it was after we had, you know, it's funny that morning I woke up and I felt like I was going to pass out <laughs> and uh, I just could barely get up and I was so exhausted, which makes sense because my, my muscles are contracting a whole bunch working them and, and I just had no energy. And, um, when I woke up a little bit after that, um, my companion told me about what she, what she saw, uh, which is, um, during the night she went up to go to the bathroom and when she came back, she saw that I was, um, convulsing or, or having a seizure. Um, and that like, she went over to see if I was okay. Like, and then I stopped and then I started like, um, uh, like she said, it sounded like I was choking. And so she went to go like, make sure that, you know, I was still breathing and that I wasn't like foaming at the mouth <laughs> in her words. Yeah. Um, and then it just stopped. And then I, my, my breathing was normal again. And so she went back to bed cause you know, she's like, she, she had just woke up. She was still tired. She didn't really know what was going on. And so in the morning she told me, and I, I had also woken up, I had like bit my tongue, like yeah. almost all the way through. <laughs> um, Which is so, a sign. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so we talked to the, the mission nurse and she told us that we needed to go to the hospital that I probably had a seizure. And so um, we did that. And after that, you know, like I, I had multiple doctor's visits just to make sure that to see if there was any signs of, of a, a seizure disorder, but without with it being the one um they couldn't say if it was because it could have been an isolated event because of stress levels it could have been a number amount of things they said that could have like there's some people who will have one seizure in their life and then never have one again and so I had sleep tests I had a MRI and a CAT scan and it wasn't until five months later, uh, I had another seizure with a different companion. Um, so I, she said she, she, she woke up because I was making a really loud noise and, um, that I was just, uh, convulsing a lot. And she ended up, you know, calling the police and, and 911. And, um, she, I, for me, I didn't really experience these things just because I was asleep, so I don't know what it was like. But I, I, I can imagine it's traumatizing to see that. So I've, I, I can't really do anything about it, but I felt bad. <laughs> but um, it's just whenever I, the, the paramedics came in and they woke me up and I could not remember where I was, who my companion was, what I was doing there. But they asked me questions like what my birthday was and I couldn't answer them until I was in the, uh, the ambulance already. It's scary. And you're describing, it sounds like that, what we call post-dictal state where after an episode you feel kind of foggy. And was that true for you? Yeah. Uh, I woke up and I was like, I just woke up with a bunch of people around me. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was, and they were asking me questions. I, I, at the time I couldn't answer. Oh, and I guess first, before we jump into the impact on your mission, um, what emotionally is, is going on with you at that point because that's it i just imagine it being such a traumatic and scary experience even though you're not awake during the seizures but you experience the aftermath of it mm -hmm. you know it's funny i didn't really think much of it until after my companion explained what she saw and how she felt because you know like to me i'm just like oh i'm in the hospital again um waiting here for hours and it wasn't until you know my companion told me about what she experienced and how she felt and what she was going through that 
I understood, like, I don't know. It's, it's one thing for me, but when I hear someone else's side, I just, I don't know. It didn't really impact me until she told me what had happened. That's understandable. So we, this is your second seizure, and I imagine we're started on medication at that point. Um, yeah. What happens with your mission going forward? Um, so um, after that, you know, I I went and got my medication. Um, we went back to our apartment. We decided to just take the day. Well, I guess it was more of a an order from my uh, mission president. He told me that, you know, I should stay home and rest. And so that's what we did. We did Facebook and stayed at home. And then a day later, um, they came and gave me a blessing. And then two days later, um, they told me that I'd have to go home. And what is going on through your head at that point when you hear those words that you're going home and and you're going to have to leave the mission field. Um, my, well, I was just like, what? No, <laughs> I can't go home. <laughs> um, I was, I was honestly devastated <laughs> because I had learned so much and I wanted to continue to learn and to feel the spirit that I had gained while on my mission. And I thought there was more that I needed to do there. But I know now that what I think isn't the point. It's what Heavenly Father knows. Yeah, I think that's really relatable. I think a lot of us feel, whether it's a mission, whether it's a calling or something else, we feel like maybe we left something on the table um, and then move on. But like you said, it's, it's what Heavenly Father wants for us. And we have to trust in him. Um, can you tell me how did how did you end up being transferred to a, a service mission? What was that process like? Um, the The day after, um, they told me I'd have to go home. Um, uh, my mission president was in contact with the service missionaries there, and 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 you know he told me that that would be an option that I could do that, and I. It's like I said yes right away just because I didn't want my mission to end. <laughs> and did you have any clue what it meant to be a service missionary at that point? Or is this kind of foreign to you too? Uh, yeah, I was, I mean, I, I had, you know, met service missionaries while I was, I was a missionary in Colorado. I knew that, you know, they did serve, had assignments at home and that they could, they didn't have to have a companion, but that was probably about the extent that I knew. Gotcha. So you say yes right away, and then um, talk to us a little bit about how you come back home. You start your mission, your, the I guess the service mission. Um, I'd, I'd just like to know more about that. Yeah. So I came home, and like, like it was. It's good to see family, especially after that long. And my mom loves having me home, <laughs> and. I just, I guess I was trying to figure out how I can be at home while still being a missionary, but not having the same rules as before. Yeah, what what is that like? So if, if they're like, hey, we're going to get together and watch the football game or whatever, like, what, what do you do? <laughs> what um, so there's no restrictions. Like, well, I mean, obviously we follow the spirit. We're not supposed to watch horror movies, but I can sit down. I'll watch the the other day. <laughs> right on. So it is, it is kind of, um, there's freedom, but you also have a challenge of following the spirit and deciding what is the right thing for you being on a mission. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, I'm still a missionary and I need this spirit to be able to guide me in all things that I do. And I think that's no different from, from just being, um, um, you know, ever, being home after a mission. And I think, you know, cause I had prayed to heavenly father that just like heavenly father, how can I 
keep those these these habits that I'm learning here on my mission at home because I didn't want to just go home and then go back to the way I was and and I really think that this is what's preparing me for that that member missionary that that being home but still keeping those good habits as a missionary because I'm living at, I'm living at home but I need to make sure I do my personal study I need to say my prayers morning and night and I need to listen and watch things that will keep the spirit in my life so that I don't go astray. I really like to hear you say that because that was one of the first things I thought when, so we, as, as bishops, we have a meeting of the bishops in the stake called Bishop Correlation. And we had one of the service missionaries come and uh, the mission president's president as well and, and explain to us what a service mission was. And we'll walk through a day in the life uh, in a minute here, but I walked away from that thinking, I kind of wish I would have done a service mission in a way because I can see how it prepares you for really a life of being a disciple of Jesus Christ in the real world. Um, and so it was good to, good to hear you say that. Um, could you walk us through what a day in the life of a service missionary is like? And we'll maybe talk about specific service you're doing right now. Yeah, I'd love to. Actually, if, if I could, I'd actually just like to start with reading the service missionary purpose. Yeah, that would be great. Um, so it says, our purpose is to help others come unto Christ by serving them as the Savior would. We serve voluntarily in charitable organizations, church functions, and within the community. We will minister in his name to the one just as he did, expressing his loving kindness. And I just, you know, the the full-time missionary purpose is 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 all about teaching. And and there's come unto a covenant with with our Savior Jesus Christ. And this this is about living the covenant that we made. And I just I like being able to see those together because you know one is to help others come into the covenant and one is to be able to um live the covenant and be an example to others thank you for sharing that i think it helps a lot of people who are still trying to grapple with the idea of what a service missionary is so i appreciate that what is a day what is a day in your life like now Uh, maybe walk us through from getting up in the morning to going to bed at night, where are you going? What are you doing? Yeah. So, um, I, I wake up around eight o'clock and I don't, I, I, I don't always eat breakfast, but I know I should. (laughs) Um, but if I do eat breakfast, I eat breakfast and then I get ready for my service assignment that I have at, so like today, this morning, um, I woke up and I, I got ready for, um, to go to meals on wheels or the senior meals, which is at 10, but I also can't drive. So I had to run down, which takes about 45 minutes. Um, so that was also my exercise because <laughs> we're supposed to take care of our bodies and to, to, um, to do that we exercise and to wake up our bodies also because exercising in the morning really helps you to to be awake and to be ready for the day i yeah. feel like absolutely and... sorry <laughs> no absolutely and that's why you don't skip breakfast sister fine i know <laughs> <laughs> um but i mean i i did have corn nuts this morning if that counts <laughs> No, it doesn't. I, I your mom better get on you about that. Uh yeah, I know. Um but I went and I helped out um there for about an hour and a half until, you know, the we had made all the food and and got the drivers out with their food to to deliver to people. And then um one of the ladies was nice enough to offer me a ride home. So that was really nice and then when I got home, um you know, because being a service missionary, you know, it's not just about 
going to organizations and serving, but also serving in your home. Because, you know, that, that brings the spirit into your home is to be able to serve those around you. And that's what it's about, is serving those around you. And so I I came home and I cleaned for my mom. I, I prepped for dinner tonight. And then I had to go down again. Or I, I guess I, I made lunch for my mom as well because she comes home for lunch for work. And then she goes back to work. And then I had to run down to uh, my next service assignment, which was uh, St. Vinny's. And um, so I volunteer over at St. Vinny's and I help them out. And I honestly, I, I do some of the stuff that their employees do. But um, just like straightening shelves and, and organizing. And after that, my mom came and get, comes and get me from, from that and we go home. And um, depending on, on the day or, or um, if there's something else going on, I'll, I'll ask the missionaries, um, you know, uh, in the beginning of the week if they have any service uh you know, services this week and when and where. And I try to fit them in my schedule, um, around my, uh, set assignments and, you know, I'll go and I'll help the other missionaries and I'll work with the other missionaries, um, to do service for those people that they are teaching. So you still have the connection to the proselyting missionaries then. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, um, I, I've been working with, uh, the missionaries in the Springfield stake. Um, I've been going to uh, district council and I was able to introduce a new way of finding people for them and working with members. Cause it's something, you know, that we did in Colorado Springs, we had different methods of finding people and working with members. And I was able to introduce a new way to them. And I think they're really excited about it. So that That's makes so it neat. That's, I'm really happy for you. That's really neat to hear. Um, I, one question that comes to mind just as you and I are talking is you're serving in these different organizations that most of us know and people clearly see the name tag, uh, Church of Jesus Christ, Sister Fine. Do you get questions? Do a lot of conversations come up? I, what is that like during the day for you? Yeah, so um, most of the people that I, do, I, I serve with, so... Um, at Meals on Wheels, um, one of them is actually a member, and I've known her for a long time. And then uh, one other is a librarian who, well, she was she is she isn't a librarian anymore, but she was my elementary school and high school librarian when I was little. And so she knows who I am. She's worked with my mom. There's and most people know who we are, and like most people know my mom, and so they see me and. And they know who I am and they know that we're members and, and they express the love that they have for us and what we do to help because um, my family's been here for 35 years and, and my dad was someone who helped a lot in the community. And so they remember that. That's really neat. And that goes back to the unique situation of Oak Ridge where it's a more tight knit community and, um, you get that opportunity to see people you probably grew up with. So that's, that's really neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I mean, even, even at St. Vinny's, you know, like I had someone come in who said they were from um, uh, Missouri or something and they saw my name tag and um, they, they, they asked about the church and, told me that they were actually a member, they were a member of the Reformed Church and talked about that a little bit and said, thank you for your service. And I was like, thank you. It's good to meet you. <laughs> That's really, I bet that was an interesting comment. And they are around here, I think. There there are some Reformed Church uh, chapels around here, I think. Yeah. Cottage Grove area, something like that. Um, but... Are you so? Do you still teach people as a service missionary? Um, I'm curious about that. Um, I have been able to join the missionaries in uh, some of their lessons, which you know, I, I'm not exactly t- 
teaching them, but I am able to share my testimony, which helps bring the spirit. And it helps, you know, prepare me for what I will be doing just as a member missionary. Because, you know, that's that's what we want. We want people to to go and be friends with these people that they're teaching so that they can feel welcome and feel loved and to feel like they belong. Mm. And a couple other questions I had, at least what I remember from the presentation we got as bishops is you still generally will have a companion that you do study with. Is that true for everybody or? Yes. So yeah, I have a study companion. And how's that done? Is that done remotely like via Zoom or how does that happen? Um, so yeah, either over Zoom or just even over the phone. Um, where we tried, you know, it, it doesn't always work with schedules, but we meet at least, at least three times a week. And where is it, if you don't mind, where is your companion serving right now? And Uh, he, his name is, well, actually my study companion's an elder. So okay. it's, uh, it's a little bit different at first. I'm just like, is this allowed? But I mean, yeah, that was my first thought. <laughs> like what? <laughs> But I mean, I I know why they they um, paired me with him because you know I I've had this structure of of studying every day and I know you know how to study with a companion and so I think they're wanting me to be able to help to to um, help him I guess you could say. Because usually they, they do like to pair, you know, those proselyting missionaries that have served um, out on the out full-time missions. And then they come home and those people who, who you know, have only had service mission. And so to be able to pair them together, to, to be able to learn from one another and how we study. That makes a lot of sense. How does that, how does that go? What's your experience with that process been? Um, there are, um, well... Our study sessions now are a lot shorter just because, you know, I don't know. I think it's just weird also because, um, you know, it's a sister and an elder. And, you know, sometimes, you know, as long as as long as long we get to feel the spirit and to learn from th- something from it, I think that that's all that really matters. But our studies have been maybe 15 to 20 minutes, which usually, you know, uh, comp study as a full-time missionary was an hour. Yeah. And it involved several naps sometimes in my experience. (laughs) (laughs) um, And you have a mission president, correct? And, and his wife. Yeah. So um, now basically my mission president is president Fuller. He is basically my mission. So we have, um, Brother and sister Hopkins, which they're mission leaders, but they, um, so like I do an interview every six months with President Fuller. Okay. Got you. And he, he, he and I talked a little bit earlier today, so he, he shared a little bit about your mission. So, um, that makes sense. You guys are checking in. Um, interesting, really interesting stuff. Um, I, I know, just as a bishop, that for some people, a service mission is going to be a better fit for them. Um, and there may actually be, you know, young men, young women who are considering a mission, but um, the practicality of going maybe on a proselyting mission is going to be very difficult. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who is considering a, maybe a service mission route? That you can't go wrong with serving a service mission. Um, I think that it's a good way to be able to to not get totally out of your comfort zone, but to be able to um, serve those around you and to be able to just get a taste of what it's like to 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 start being a um, to be a disciple of Christ, because that's that's what we've covenanted to, to do: is to be disciples of Christ and to serve others who are in need. And it really helps us to be able to be accountable for that and to to help us gain that those habits and and to gain that experience so that we'll continue to do it throughout our life 
Thank you so much for that. And I, I would just say that again, that from the service missionaries I met, and you're another one I'll put in that group, but it just seems like you're getting a step up from even us who did proselyting missions as far as just being ready to serve in the church as you come back. Um, so that's that's just really neat. Yeah, I, I, you know, it was it was a hard transition at first, but I really have grown to love being a service missionary. Well, Sister Fine, I, we said thirty to forty five minutes. I'm just enjoying this interview so much. We went over time a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'd I'd like to ask you a little bit about um, the role of the Book of Mormon in your life because that was one thing when we went through our questionnaire. Um, you mentioned that's a huge part of uh, your growth as a member of the church is just your testimony, the Book of Mormon. I, could you un tell us a little bit more about that and maybe share some of your favorite scriptures or favorite stories from the Book of Mormon? I would love to because, you know, the Book of Mormon is really that, that um, I don't know, I want to say that glue that really holds us together to Christ. Because, you know, it is another testament of Christ. This is it right there on the front. And, you know, I, I feel like some people really have a hard time understanding what the Book of Mormon is. But it, if you even just the introduction, it explains it perfectly what it is. It's, a, it's an ancient record of people, their dealings with God, and just knowing that um, and... I've just enjoyed so much um, being able to truly understand the words that this 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 book holds, because there's so much truth in this book that this is the most precious thing that I own. It really is the most precious thing that I own because it has helped me to grow my faith and to be able to come closer to my Savior. To really know who he is. And one of my favorite chapters actually is in Second Nephi um, chapter 4. Um, me and my mom, we call it Nephi's prayer. I don't know if anybody else does, but. Yeah, the, this is one of my favorite. This is one of my top five get me through anything scriptures. So, yeah, I love it. And just. Nephi is going through through so much right now. You know, he he just lost his father, and now his his brothers want to kill him, and and he just doesn't. He he talks about having this this sorrow, and 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 how he doesn't understand why you know all these these you know because sorry, I'm like I have so much I want to say, but it's not coming out. <laughs> um that there is so much that we go through and it's easy to give into temptation but it's hard to follow our savior jesus christ but how much we grow from being able to follow him is so rewarding and it really prepares us for the next life and for to have that eternal perspective and i love when he says said and why should i yield to sin because of my flesh yea why should i give it way to temptations that the evil one should have placed in my heart to destroy my peace and afflict my soul why am i angry because of mine enemy awake my soul no longer droop in sin rejoice O my heart and give place no more for the enemy of my soul do not anger again because of mine enemies. Do not slacken my strength because of mine afflictions. Rejoice, O my heart, and cry unto the Lord, and say, O Lord, I will praise thee forever. Yea, my soul will rejoice in thee, my God, and I will the rock of my salvation. I love to read this, especially whenever I'm feeling down or, or I'm feeling like, like I can't go on because... When we decide to do nothing, we're giving in temptation to Satan because he wants us to do nothing. He wants us to stay in our misery. But whenever we realize how much 
Our Savior loves us. He can give us the strength to keep going and to rejoice in our Savior and the love that He has for us and the strength of the atonement that He's given us. And as we use His atonement, we draw closer to Him. Atonement, um, I, I've heard, is also to mean to be at one with. And so when Christ performs His atonement, He was at one with us, knew everything we were going through. And as we use His atonement, that we are at one with Christ. Wow. Thank you so much for that. I, I love that scripture. And I think uh, we call it the Psalm of Nephi sometimes um, because he's very poetic and some of his language there and just sharing his own feelings about his shortcoming. And wow, you know, we, we usually look up to Nephi as somebody who is a, as close to perfect as you could be. And yet he still had struggles. And that's really something I love about the Book of Mormon is we hear that these were real people, even though they were great examples. And one thing I love that Nephi says there, um, I think later on, he says, you know, basically, oh, wretched man am I, but I know in whom I have trusted. And uh, that's gotten me through a lot of hard times, too. So thank you again for sharing that. Of course. I'd, so, Sister Fine, I'd, we went a little bit over. I'm glad we did. I, I really enjoyed our conversation. I am going to do a little bit special of a ending question here. Generally, we'll ask, how has being a member of the church helped you connect with Jesus Christ? I'm going to say, how has serving as a missionary, both proselyting and service, helped you to better connect with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? It's really helped me to embody what it means to be a disciple of Christ. It's helped me to put into action those things that I know and those things that I promise to do. Because I think sometimes, you know, we, we, we don't really understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ or what we have to do. But really, well, what we've covenanted to do is to be a missionary and to, to share what we know with others and to serve others around us to follow our Savior's example and to teach and to serve and to love. Well, thank you so much. And uh, really appreciate you taking the time and your busy day for this interview. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you an invitation to share this with your family and, and other people you might come in contact with. Cause I, I think that just hearing your testimony is really powerful and, touched me. I learned some things today and um, just thank you again. I'll, I'll send you a link to the show when we're done. Thank you. All right. You take care and have a good night. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. In this episode of the Connection Podcast, we're on most podcast carriers, so please like and subscribe. The show's art is done by Joel Boreen and the music is provided by Drew Boreen. We look forward to connecting to you next time. Until then, take care.